Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. Welcome to the Pat on Fan Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as an angler by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milford. I'm your host, Sean Lavery, and with all with me as always is my co-host Ryan Milford. How's it going, buddy? What's going on, man? Tonight on the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, I'd like to welcome Alex Rudd. Uh, you might know him from Alex Rudd Fishing on Instagram or YouTube. Uh, we'll let him cover all that. Uh, but uh, welcome, Alex. Thanks for coming on the show, brother. Absolutely. I'm glad to be on here. Can't wait to talk some fishing. <laughs> That's kind of pretty much what we do. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, well, first of all, I guess, uh, why don't you, uh, introduce yourself, let the, uh, folks let know how you got into the fishing game and, uh, uh, just a little bit about yourself. So, yeah. So my name is Alex Rudd. Um, I run a YouTube channel called Alex Rudd Fishing. Um, I have been fishing for as long as I can remember. Like, honestly, my earliest memories in life are catching bass. Um, so it's just something I've always done. And, uh, you know, about six years ago, five, six years ago now, time slips up on me. It's, I don't know if I'm getting old or what it is. Like I look back and I'm like, Oh, it's only been three years ago. And it's been like seven. Um, but <laughs> about six years ago, I started making YouTube videos, um, bought a GoPro. I, I've always been fascinated with, you know, like making videos, making content, um, and then fishing. And so when I figured out, I could like combine those two together and make a YouTube channel. It was really cool. And so I started this YouTube channel and man, just, it started growing, you know what I mean? And throughout these years, you know, I, I went to college, um, graduated from college with an education degree. So I'm a fifth grade teacher. 
Um, and so I kind of found my awesome middle ground of being able to enjoy fishing, make videos, and then do what I love to do, which is teach people by making these videos in YouTube. And, you know, it's grown into this thing that I never thought it would be. It's kind of crazy that, you know, like I show up to boat ramps and people know my name and like <laughs> companies want to work with me. And like, I, you know, I try to tell everybody I'm just a dude who loves fishing. I just happen to make videos about it. So that's, that's me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's kind of how I found you on YouTube first was uh, instructional videos. So, I, you know, just Googling how to uh, do certain techniques or that. And that's how I ran across you. And uh, so would you say that's like your most popular videos or what do you think? Is it a combination of that? It's, and Yeah, so it's kind of a combination. Like I, I've been trying to get away from strictly um, instructional videos and go more into where I'm actually on the water. And then plus the like education part is just interwoven into all that you know what i mean um because i i don't want to be a tactical bassin or a fluke master right i'm i'm me and i felt like i was going down that road and so i kind of made a shift in my content to where i'm still doing what i really enjoy doing which is being out on the water but then i just kind of interweave you know i'd rather catch a bass as to tell somebody how to catch a bass i'd rather catch it and then tell them as to just tell them and not have any proof of hey this works you know what i mean so I would say that it's kind of that middle ground of being entertained and teaching somewhere. Yeah. I, I think go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say, I can, I can see where you're coming from there because I can learn from watching other people fish on, on YouTube videos and, you know, just seeing what they're doing and what they actually show is a successful method of catching fish. You know what I mean? So I, I can completely agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, that's just, a, that's an education tool, right? I mean, I, that's something that I learned how to teach kids. And, you know, teaching a kid is just like teaching anybody else. And, you know, the number one way my kids learn fractions is when we mess with um, cubes or I bring in cupcakes and we cut up cupcakes. I mean, actually physically watching somebody do something is going to teach them a lot quicker than just spewing out information. At them. I mean, I don't know if either one of you guys went to college, but when you would sit in a class or even in high school, you know, you sit in a classroom and you got Charlie Brown's teacher up there just going, wah, 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 wah. You don't, you don't get a lot of that information, but if you watch somebody as they talk you through catching a fish, you're going to really hold on to that information a lot more. I really like the the point of view that you shoot your videos from too, because it shows that kind of stuff. It shows the retrieves you use and that kind of stuff. Whereas like somebody, sometimes on tactical bass and my biggest thing is all you see is them on the front of the boat and you can't see how they're working the jig with their hands or, you know, anything like that. And from the point of view that you show most often, I think you really can see that. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's funny. I had a conversation with my buddy about that the other day, like, he was saying that he fished with a kid, a younger kid, and this kid's a stick in the kayak community around here. He wins a lot of tournaments, and he's young, though. He's like 15, 16. Dad drives him to the lake and drops him off with his kayak. You know what I mean? He's like mowing yards to pay for, for entry fees and stuff. But the kid is very intuitive in the fact that he watches every single thing that you do. This kid isn't just going to go, what bait are you throwing? He's going to go, okay, throw that bait let me watch you throw it. Cause that's where he, I mean, I told, I told my buddy this too. I was like, man, that's where you really learn fishing is when you watch somebody that's better than you just do it. And you know, you can pick up on little nuancey things, man, that can really make the difference between catching them and not catching them. Absolutely. 
Well, that yeah. brings up another point I was wondering. Uh, did you start in a boat or kayak? Um, I know you kind of do both. Yeah, so I started in a boat. Um, my dad got me into fishing. He's been fishing his entire life. Um, he's had boats as long as I can remember. So it was all from the boat in the beginning. The whole kayak thing came about about two years ago. And my plan literally was, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to make videos and I'm going to make a fool of myself on this kayak <laughs> so that everybody else that's getting into kayak fishing has an example of what it looks like to just be brand new. And I would still say that I'm clueless to about half of what's going on in kayak fishing. I mean, like, <laughs> I got buddies that are full-blown into it that they'll say some name to me of some kayak guy or they'll say something about kayak and I'm just sitting there just, like, giving them the, oh, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Please elaborate. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so the kayak thing for me was just an opportunity. I had been in a kayak a few times, and it the first thing that stood out to me was I really, really suck at this, and I didn't like that. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I have to get in a kayak and go figure this thing out because there is, there is something to kayak fishing that is totally different than any other kind of fishing I've ever done. And it has taught me so much about like finesse fishing, you know, really uh, optimizing an area. Like we're used to, I'm a power fisherman. I mean, I'm like a squirrel on crack. Like I want to be cranking a crankbait and flipping and frogging and moving, 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 right? And, you know, kayak fishing really taught me how to take an area and optimize it and get all the bites out of an area instead of just burning through it and then running 100 yards down the lake and burning through that area. And I really love that. I love that part of kayak fishing. So that's how I got into the whole kayak fishing thing. It was literally just an experiment to show people like, hey, you don't have to know it all when you buy a kayak. Get a kayak, fumble through it. I'm going to fumble through it with you and we'll figure it out. So so now, which one would you prefer, kayak or boat? Dude, it's so hard. People ask me that all the time. It's so hard. <laughs> Because I like them both so much. Like, so the past three days, I've been kayak fishing. And I went kayak fishing on a lake um, that is just a really clear, finesse kind of lake, right? And it really played to the whole kayak fishing kind of deal. Whereas if I go below the dam on Nickajack, right, and I'm fishing the current, I got to be in my boat. Or if, like, tomorrow I'm going to go fish a bigger lake that I got to run a good ways to go get in some of those better spots that there's no boat ramps around, I'm going to take my boat. Um, I just love boat. Here's the deal, guys. I love fishing. I always tell people, and I always gauge everybody by, I ask them this question, if you took it all away tomorrow, take away the kayaks, take away the boats, take away the rods, all the fancy gear we got, what are you boys going to be doing on Saturday morning? <laughs> You're still going to go I, fishing. I, yeah. That's right. And that's what, I mean, I dude, that's just my mindset. I love all of it so much. If it swims and I can hook it, I want to try to fish for it. And I'm, I just love fishing. So it's hard to answer that question. I feel you. I was just going to say, it's kind of like that, uh, that quote that I've heard before. Let me make sure I can get this right. It's, uh, you know, we're all fishermen before we're kayak fishermen or something. I don't know. I think I butchered that, but yeah. Yeah. Let's ignore and pretend I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to agree. Yes, I think that's <laughs> Well, since we're talking about kayaks, um, I, I noticed you got a new kayak, and it looks pretty sweet. So maybe you could share a little bit about that. I'm a little jealous, I got to say. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> um, 
it's straight up just silly is what it is. So I got the new Old Town Autopilot 120. Um, and what that is essentially is is a kayak with an Ultrex built into it. Um, I got all the spot lock features. I've got everything that an Ultrex has built into this kayak. Um, and it is incredible. That's what I've spent the past three days fishing in. And I hate to use this term because it's way overused, but it seriously is a game changer. Like, there's nothing out there that's even touching what's going on there, unless you're mounting, you know, an Ultrex or one of the motor guides onto the front of your kayak. Um, but what's so cool about this kayak is, you know, it is pricey, but you get everything built in. Like, it's, there is nothing you need extra other than the battery to stick in the battery box. And um, it's just, it's incredible. I was in uh, some some creek current today, uh, about four and a half miles an hour is what I was rolling and I hit spot lock and set completely still and fished a log jam in a kayak. So it was, is insane. Like it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I yeah. was thinking about that when I was out getting them, getting blown all over the lake with the wind, uh, this past weekend. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, crazy. man, it'd be nice just to hit a button and be like, I'm staying right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And it, when I found out that old town was coming out with that, um, I was talking to, some of the engineers and and uh, Ryan over at Old Town, he was like, "Yeah, man, we're putting spot lock in a kayak." And I was like, oh, "Ho ho, we can't just pass up on that. You're doing what now?" And he's like, "Yeah, spot lock in a kayak." I was like, "All right, this is it. Like, I don't even know anymore. I don't think he can get any cooler than this." So, yeah, this that's definitely like a huge thing in the kayak tournament scene right now. Like a lot of buzz about that right there. Um, uh, something I was wondering, I haven't really looked into it too much. How do, does the motor actually come out of the kayak or is it like actually built in there? So it comes out just like a pedal drive would. Okay. Um, all that's holding it on, there's a, there's like, so you got to imagine if you're just how your pedal drive would go in, um, like to your, like a traditional, like a Titan or an old town top water or something like that. Okay. Um, you have a, like a bracket and you set it down in that bracket and click it into the bracket. And then there is a pulley system that actually attaches to the motor um, that is already rigged into the kayak, and you pull that pulley system, and it locks it down into place. And then you just got to undo that pulley system, and it raises it back up, and literally one latch, you just pull up on the latch, you pull the whole motor out. So, I was just wondering about that, just in case your motor ever went bad on you, like about replacing it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all it's a totally replaceable system, which is just insane. And what are your options for steering? Like, I know you have a little handheld remote, but uh, mm -hmm. do you have pedal steering or anything like that, or is it yeah. mostly just okay? Yeah, so you have total hands-free control with the rudder system. It's all built in. You can choose either the remote or the the like the pedals for your rudder. I use the remote almost exclusively i think just because i'm so used to my ultrex like controlling my ultrex with my remote that it was just like so intuitive but i think for somebody that may be in a kayak that has a rudder system the rudder will probably be the way that they do it where me i'm just my brain's not there yet you know what i mean so wow that sounds yeah. really neat <laughs> yeah it is it's dude it's crazy like i i'm Old Town, Old Town has treated me very well, and I'm just, I'm super excited to be in that kayak, so. Cool, man. Well, um, I guess uh, we were going to talk a little bit about um, 
how you're transitioning from spring to summer fishing and, uh, you know, as the, the spawn progresses, uh, I know people listening, uh, are going to be in different parts of that conversation, but, uh, um, what's your plan right now? Like when you, when you go out right now, what are you throwing and what are you looking for? So right now, a lot of my lakes are, we are either full blown spawn. You get a lot of fish on the beds, um, or they're somewhere in transition, right? You'll have a fish on beds, You'll have fish that are coming off of beds. Um, and really kind of what I do is I look for that natural, just progression area. And what I mean by that is if I find a bunch of fish spawning around the bases of trees, naturally when they're done, they're just going to go out to the ends of those trees, right? Or if I find them spawning around boat docks, naturally if they're at the back of the boat dock, when they're done spawning, they'll come to the front of the boat dock. Um, and so I look for those areas, just those natural progression areas. And that's really where I'm focusing right now. And I'm actually catching quite a few fish that are already spawned out. Um and really, I focus on a lot of those areas, especially when I'm in a kayak with some kind of finesse technique. My number one go-to is a wacky rig. I hate the thing, but it just <laughs> catches fish straight up. There's no denying it, right? Um, so I've been skipping a lot of wacky rigs around docks, throwing them on the ends of trees, um, and, and looking for areas where they have access to deep water, right? Um, I believe you have two sets of fish in this whole category. I think you got residential fish. They're going to chill around those boat docks and those trees all year long, right? They just live there. And then you got those fish that are naturally going to go to deeper water. Well, if I can find an area that allows the fish that want to stay there to stay there and there's access to deep water, then I'm killing two birds with one stone. So that's kind of just what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an area where they can naturally progress from their spawning areas and then they can naturally progress if they want to into deeper water. And all I'm doing is intercepting them. Um, Cause I, I tell people all the time, you want to catch fish, you want to stay on fish. You got to figure out where they're going. You got to get them coming to you. And when they're coming to you, you're going to catch fish. So that's really what I'm focusing on right now. Um, and that'll change as it gets warmer. Um, I'll start kind of start fishing a little bit different stuff. Um, just as the, the warmer weather comes on and summer actually gets here. So when do you start breaking out the power stuff then? Because uh, I, I, I'm much more of a finesse guy. I learned the wacky rig first. That's the first thing I had success on. So I still don't have a lot of confidence in crankbaiting and stuff. I've caught a few on them, but uh, definitely my my uh, wacky rig catches way outnumber my uh, my crankbait and other power fishing technique catches. So Yeah, so I really start focusing on more of that power fishing stuff um as we get later post spawn right because naturally those fish you know they're done spawning okay so they move off and they either find somewhere to hang out all summer whether it be in a big grass flat or on the ends of these trees around these boat docks in the rivers you know i fish a lot of rivers so naturally those fish just they kind of live shallow all year long because they have anywhere else to go um, but I really start focusing on those fish once it goes full blown post spawn, once we get end of May into June, um, because that's when those fish are going to start being just a little more aggressive. That water temperature starts to peak into that 70 degree range. Their metabolism cranks up. Like they start getting warm and it's just like a snake. I mean, they're like, I got to eat and I got to eat now. And so that's when they'll be more apt to hit, you know, a frog or an eight XD or a chatterbait, or a you know eight-inch worm. That's one of my favorite summertime baits. Um, 
And so that's when I kind of, when those water temperatures start to peak up over that 70, 75, 80 degree range, when I know those metabolisms of those bass are going to be absolutely cranked up and they're going to be ready to eat, that's when I start really getting out that bigger profile stuff, start power fishing, get out the glide baits, get out the big worms, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and then, so you do pay a good amount of attention to water temperature. I know I'm still learning, just learning that basically, and more through experience than anything. Uh, like right now here in Pennsylvania, where I live, we're just hitting like 60 degrees, uh, between 55 and 60. Now it's supposed to, we have a cold front coming through that's going to chill it back down a little again. But, um, and our, like my Senko bite just really came on in the last week or two. Um, mm -hmm. I had been throwing it prior to that without a ton of luck, but just in the past week, I started really having a lot more luck with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I imagine as it gets even warmer, um, then I'll be able to start uh, trying my crankbaits and chatterbaits and stuff a little bit more and having a little bit more success with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, water temperatures. I think water temperature more than anything is probably the biggest factor in a bass's existence, right? Because um, they're cold-blooded. So water temperature and sunlight are really going to affect how that bass decides to function on any given day. We we got that cold front moving through, too. It's going to be like, I think, 38 tonight. So we were 88 a day ago, and wow. now it's going to be 38 <laughs> tonight. So, um, yeah, it sucks. So just just like a snake, you got to imagine that snake's going to go hole up somewhere and he's just going to chill until it warms back up again. Like he don't want to do nothing. He's fine. A bass is the same way. They'll go suspend off the end of a tree, get in some more stable water, and they will literally sit there and just chill out until it's time for them to get back on it, which is when the water starts to warm back up, right? So I really believe that water temperature is probably the single most important thing an angler can pay attention to. Um, and I don't care if you're on a kayak, on a boat, on a bank, if you don't got something to gauge your water temperature by, literally get a pool thermometer and just throw it in the, off the side of your kayak, just so that you have a general idea of what you're dealing with. Um, because then once you can start to figure out and kind of correlate bass behavior based on water temperature, I can promise people they'll be more successful on the water. So kind of going off what you were just saying, um, Okay, I'm planning on going out in the morning, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're both here in Tennessee. I think we're supposed to get down to, like, 40 here around Nashville tonight. So mm -hmm. it's going to get a little too – so how much do you think, like, one night of that cold weather really affects the bass? Like, are, were you talking about, like, you know, even just one night could kind of – they kind of shut down and get in a hole, or are you talking about, like – a stretch of like two or three days or so of a code front. So I think to answer that question, like tonight, I think it'll hurt them in the morning. Right. But I think by tomorrow afternoon, once it warms back up and the sun starts getting on that water, that water temperature is, it may fluctuate a degree or two tonight. Maybe yeah. let's, let's be, let's be over generous and say it's going to, it's going to vary by five degrees. Right. But by tomorrow afternoon, it'll be warmed up. You know what I mean? Now, if we hit a stretch of cold weather, um, that can put those bass in a funk for a week and a half, two weeks. You know what I mean? It just depends how much that water's fluctuating. Um, but, like, I think if you were to go out in the morning and try to catch them on exactly what you were catching them on yesterday, you'd probably get a few bites. But overall, they're just going to be a little more lethargic because they just – they're they're their instincts for self-preservation are going to override any instinct to eat. 
And so if that means that a big shag goes by their face and they don't eat it because they know sitting still instinctually is better for them, they're just going to sit still. But I think, I think, you know, tomorrow, like this, this stuff coming in tonight, I was talking to my buddy cause I'm going fishing tomorrow too, you know, by tomorrow afternoon, afternoon bite will be right back on just like it was a couple of days ago. Um, but I think when we have prolonged periods of temperature changes, when you really get into them, not want to eat for a period of time. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important for uh, especially new people to learn, new anglers to learn too, is that there will be times where the fish just do not want to eat. And, and whether that's based on temperature or, you know, other aspects, there, there definitely is time. So there's times when I would go out and get skunked and I'd be totally disgusted with myself that I couldn't catch a fish when really, I mean, you could pretty much put it right in front of their face and have the perfect thing tied on. And if they they are not in that mood to eat, then, you know, unless you can draw a reaction strike, there's probably not a whole lot you're going to do to catch those fish. Exactly. Well, well, something, you know, this is all just based on opinion, what I'm about to say. I don't have any facts to go behind it. But the way I kind of look at it is I compare them to us. You know, whenever it's real cold outside and we're in bed and we're all snuggled up and warm and mm-hmm. we, we, we know that once we get out from underneath those covers, it's going to get cold. <laughs> like we, we might be a little hungry, but it's like, man, I don't want to get out of this bed, out of this warm, cozy bed and go make me anything to eat. So, you know, a lot of time you just sit there for a little while. Exactly. And then for, for summertime, look at it, you know, you're real hot. A lot of the time, a, a lot of people, you know, don't feel like eating nothing. You know, you're just hot. It's like, I, I just want to go cool off somewhere. Like, I'm, I'm not really looking to fill up because you, you get full. And that heat just makes you feel bad and everything. So that's the way I kind of try to look at it. Like I said, I have no science behind that or nothing this is how i kind of compared the two but it's a perfect comparison i mean dude that's a perfect analogy i mean it's seriously i mean like when it gets cold a bass will hole up in a grass patch or he'll get up next to a log or you know on riprap or something because that's what retains heat and they just chill out and when it gets real hot they go get in a grass patch somewhere where there's plenty of oxygen and they just chill out and they don't want to do nothing because it's just that like i said self-preservation will will override every other instinct that that bass has they are trying to keep themselves from dying or being killed that's the most important thing to them right cool that's uh i mean i again i i can't i don't think we can understate that enough is is once you learn the you know biology of the bass it it gives you so many more tools because it it gives you where to look you know what you think they're doing i mean it's just a lot of more tools in your toolbox rather than just going out there blind and hoping to land on fish so yes absolutely yeah i'm uh i'm kind of geeky in the fact that i'll read like you know college papers on bass biology i i like logged into alabama university's website one day and was reading like whole papers about bass biology because they actually have a really big department um down there that's totally dedicated to bass biology but I mean, you learn when you learn the science of the little dudes, it can really change your perspective on how they function. You know what I mean? I, I wish I had the 
enough like concentration to sit down and read that stuff because that's stuff that I would <laughs> love to know. Yeah, but, like my ADD kicks in when I start learning or start reading that kind of stuff, and like I start daydreaming while I'm reading, and then I'd have no idea what I just read. And yeah, yeah. You know, oh, dude, kind of don't worry. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. That's why I have to listen to podcasts more than anything because I call it I call it passive learning. I can be doing something completely different, but I got a podcast on in the background, and I'm like learning as I'm doing this completely other thing, cause I can hear everything they're saying. Right. I'm the same way, dude. Like uh, I, I went to college. I did well in college cause I really concentrated on it, but I'll be truthful. There was a lot of it didn't get done because I was over here more worried about bass fishing and doing whatever else my brain <laughs> needed to be doing than doing college. So I'll tell you what, if I, if I had bass classes though, I think I would have, uh, you know, paid attention a little bit more cause, uh, you <laughs> know, the, uh, history of greek mythology and stuff just doesn't hold my attention like uh talking <laughs> <fishing> <laughs> yeah i didn't make it to college so <laughs> that's all right I, man yeah I, I wonder why you know can't can't pay attention to nothing hey there's lots of people all over the place like that man and i tell i tell my kids all the time listen some of you guys aren't going to go to college and that's fine like life is okay without college i can promise you that absolutely so if you had to pick three baits to carry with you i know you'd probably do uh you said wacky rig would you carry a wacky rig as one of those three i hate to say yes but absolutely <laughs> yeah um, definitely a wacky rig just because it is such an awesome finesse presentation you know what i mean it's just one of those tools you can pull out and even when they don't really want to eat there's something about that wacky rig passive wounded bait fish looking thing coming through the water they just they got to go up and try to eat it right um my other one's probably going to be a bladed jig um chatterbait thunder cricket whatever brand you decide you want to throw um that thing is just it, it's a powerhouse all year long right it, it's a tool that doesn't matter if it's freaking 95 degrees or 40 degrees i feel like i can confidently pick up that bait and go get a bite um and then the third one is one that i have gained a ton of confidence in over the past couple years um and people often are like are you kidding me but that's a frog a frog this time of year even when we have temperatures in the high 50s low 60s into the upper 60s you're not gonna get a ton of bites but the bite you're gonna get is gonna be an absolutely giant one right um and as those fish go post-spawn, like I said, they get a little more aggressive. They're willing to come out and try to eat something a little bit bigger. Or it looks like wounded bait fish, something like that. Wounded bluegill, whatever it is. So definitely a frog this time of year. Used to, I used to think it was only a summertime thing, summer, fall. But I've learned that a frog is viable f from literally that time that water hits 55 all the way through the summer back around to the fall. So what'd you get out of that box? I heard you clicking around over there. I got to see it. Oh, I, I, I was going to say... Uh... You know, you're talking about, you know, chatterbaits. Have you messed with these Z-Man micro chatterbaits much? Little bitty tiny not. things. That is wicked looking, though. Yeah, I mean, if you... I can compare it to a... All right, this is a half-ounce jackhammer. This is the micro chatterbait with a trailer already on it. Wow. So. <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. You throwing on a spinning rod or casting gear? Um, I'm imagining I'm going to... I haven't tried it yet. That's why I was okay. wondering if you had tried it. Um, I'm probably going to throw it on the spinning rod, but uh, that's something that I want to try. Give like a smaller chatterbait presentation. Yeah, dude, that's, 
I could I could see where that could probably absolutely smash them where other things wouldn't. That's yeah, interesting I, to me. Probably even catch crappie off that. Oh yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was probably I'm probably I was thinking he's probably gonna catch about fifty two perch and forty two crappie, and then finally <laughs> hey, an eight I'll pounder's take the gonna. Crappie. I'll take yeah. the crappie. You know. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you this: with the uh, wacky rig, mm-hmm. I've heard so many mixed reviews off this. Do you do you weight it? Or do you leave it weightless and just let it bring itself down? Totally weightless. Totally weightless. I want that thing to have. Now, this is where picking the right stick bait comes into play. Okay. I think a lot of people who want to weight a wacky rig, um, I think there's option. I mean, there's always a place for everything out there. I'm not going to say one thing works better than the other, but there's a place for every tool. But I think people who are wanting to weight a wacky rig are not throwing the right stick bait. Right. Um, Obviously, you know, when you think wacky rig, everybody says Cinco, right? Gary Yamamoto Cinco. That's your, like, the best, you know, stick bait ever made in existence or whatever, and whatever people want to say about it. Um, but I really found that, like, the Bass Pro Shop Sticko um, is a much more affordable option and sinks just like a Cinco does. And then a Strike King Ocho is another one that I really, really love. Now, that's not to downplay the Senko. The Senko is, you know, always going to be the OG. Um, but I think when people start wanting to weight their wacky rigs, they're just not throwing a stick bait that is well-designed or has enough salt. Um, but totally weightless is the way I roll with it. And because I have found that that is just... There's something... A drop shot is a great example of this. When you hang something in a bass's face for a prolonged period of time, whether it's falling super slow or it's slowed down just enough where it feels like it's hanging in front of their face, they cannot stand it. Like, they just have to kill it. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like, a bluegill. You think about a wounded bluegill or a bait fish, they kind of, they don't just straight to the bottom, right? They kind of like, and then they'll twitch and just kind of drift, right? And that's... It's natural for a bass. A bass goes, there's something wrong with that. I can kill it. And they, they try to eat it. So I go totally weightless. Cool. I, I was going to say, I've, I've actually, <laughs> I use um, some, the most ones I use, uh, the stick baits are, are yum dingers. Um, yeah. Cause they're cheap. And yeah. for those, I actually do sometimes weight them uh, depending if I'm, especially if I'm having an impatient day. Mm-hmm. because if i'm having a patient day and i'm just chilling and chucking and letting it float like it's you're supposed to but sometimes um I'm, if i'm having an impatient day i do put it uh either a little split shot right above the hook or something um something like that and uh i i don't know it something about it it, it i i feel like i have more feel for it but i i that's just me so yeah so try sticko from bass pro shop um, it is literally the same exact thing as a Cinco. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying that there's going to be somebody that's going to be like, no, he's wrong. But like, <laughs> you know, that's like saying that, you know, uh, there's nothing like the chatterbait, which there's not, you know what I mean? But then there's nothing like the jackhammer either. There's not, but, um, no. So you can get like a 30 pack of stickos for eight bucks and okay. I have pull tested them all. And literally the, the sticko, the Ocho and the Cinco are the three, like, king dogs but i like that sticko because i can get 30 of them for eight bucks you can get 50 of them for 10 bucks so definitely check that out 
Yeah, yeah, it's the value pack, and like, dude, it's it's the way to go, man. Because you go through a lot of them. I mean, they're soft, they're salty, they rip easy, and so I had to find something more affordable. Because even though I work with Strike King, the Ocho sometimes just does not get the same amount of bites as that Sticko does. Um, so I started buying Stickos a while back, and I can stock up the boat or kayak or whatever for not much money, which I like. So. And Sean, um, th- this is something that I've been meaning to ask you, but I keep forgetting. So I'm, I'm gonna call you out right here on the podcast. All right. Um, have you tried a Nico rig? You know, to for when you want to work uh, that a little faster. Putting a nail right in the one end, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have tried it, but uh, I again, I don't know that I have the the feel for it. It 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 to me, I I don't have the same when I'm just twitching it. I can't tell. 100% where I'm at, where like I can with it not in there. And I don't know what the difference is or if it's mental or what, but uh, um, I just haven't had the same amount of luck. I, I tried that um, in our in uh, my second matchup with, uh, with JP uh, in our bracket challenge and uh, just to see, because I was thinking, hey, if I can get it down there a little quicker, maybe that'll work better for me. Also, because I saw Jackson Orr doing it in his tournament. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a, it's got to be pretty similar to a wacky rig, so I should be able to do that. But I just haven't had, I've never had a bite on it. So, um, I, but I definitely will keep trying it. I have some nail weights, and uh, um, I think there's a time and place. I just haven't found it yet. So, the old Nico rig. I need to experiment with it more. I, I got some bots on it when it first kind of hit the scene i was trying actually before it kind of hit the scene in america i was, I was so something i do this is a strange addiction of mine i will watch japanese videos japanese fishing videos not understand a damn word they're saying <laughs> but i watch the whole things because they're always on the the cutting edge of all the new bass stuff right um like the tokyo rig it's called a punch shot. It's the original name. And I remember watching videos like two years ago from Japan where these dudes are speaking totally Japanese and they're using the punch shot. Right. Um, so I tried the Nico rig before it kind of got big in America. Um, but I did it with giant worms. Like I took eight inch bull worms <laughs> and took like, <laughs> took like three, aught, you know, three aught hooks and big half ounce weights and was flipping that thing around boat docks and getting wrecked. I mean, it works like, and it is, it is fascinating. Wow. But I was like throwing it on casting gear and 17 pound tests. Like it was amazing. But flipping that thing around boat docks, dude, it is getting wrecked. Huh. I'll have to try that. I have a one pack of Magnum worms that I, now I'm, now you got my curiosity peaked. I might have to try that. So. <laughs> Tell you, I love that big worm, man. It's, it's the most underutilized bait. I believe by some people It's like big Magnum size worms, dude. You can flip that thing the same place you'd flip a beaver, and a 12-incher will eat it. A 5-pounder will eat it. It's crazy, man. How about uh, bladed baits? So I mean, uh, you obviously mentioned the chatterbait, um, are you, are you, and a couple of the other ones. Are, are you, do you have any cheaper alternatives for that you feel are uh, close to as effective? Honestly, no. That's the yeah. one thing that, like... It sucks to say that. I mean, my buddy Ben, Ben Nowak, he also has a YouTube channel, um, The Smallmouth Experience. He's been building some bladed jigs, and we've been playing with some stuff that he's been building, um, just hooks and, and blade configurations and stuff, because we're not selling them, so we can go direct connection, 
And I think that's the biggest thing is you got to have that direct connection. And a lot of companies can't do that because that's what Z-Man actually has patented is that direct connection. And so if you don't got that direct connection, you don't have a true chatterbait, right? Um, The split ring connection is okay, but it's not going to activate as quickly as the direct connection, right? Um, Now, there are a few Japanese companies that I've been playing with um jackal which is you know they have some stuff in america but they actually have a bladed jig that they can't sell here because of the direct connection thing the jackal shock blade um it's not any cheaper but damn does that thing thump i mean it is like it is like a jackhammer on steroids um it absolutely you got one in there no 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 no. Uh, i I was uh just gonna say i've kind of got a theory that I haven't played with yet. Yeah. All right. So Jackhammer. Mm-hmm. And this is just the regular original Z-Man Chatterbait, right? Mm-hmm. So take them, look at their blades. You know, there's just a little bit more of a bend in this one here. So I was one. I haven't played with it yet, but I'm like, if I could take a pair of pliers, put it <laughs> on here, just get that bend just right. How much more thump could I get out of this one to compare it to this one? I, I think you would, you would be amazed, but I'll tell you what the biggest factor in the original Chatterbait and the Jackhammer is, is blade material and blade diameter. Um, if you put that blade on a set of calipers by the eye, you're going to, you're going to say, Alex, you're nuts. Like it's, you know, you know, one thousandth of an inch, but you would be amazed. Those Mondo blades that the, are put on the Jackhammers they are they're a hardened steel blade, whereas just the normal jackhammer blade is just pop metal, right? They just press them out, boom, it's cheap, good to go. The the density of that metal and the diameter of that blade is in in combination with that direct connection is what makes that thing thump like it actually thumps. Um, but that blade angle does. I've played with blade angles a little bit. Um, I found the biggest thing with the blade angle is. If you go too much, you'll get a roll. It'll want to, it'll blow out. So like with the jackhammer, you know, you can just, I mean, as fast as you want to reel it. You take an original jackhammer and try to do the same thing, it'll want to blow out on you. And that's that's kind of the deal. That's what me and Ben are playing with right now is getting our hands on the right blades, getting our the the material right in the bottom of the the bait so that it doesn't want to blow out. It's really fascinating how much I, like you think, oh, it's just a jackhammer. It's fascinating how much is actually in that little bitty bait and like yeah. that they put just enough material on the bottom of the head so that it rides right and doesn't blow out and blow. I mean, just the Japanese are, they are fascinating individuals, man. They have that, <laughs> they have that never quit mentality of we're not going to sell it until it's absolutely perfect. And they live by that crap, man. And so. that's why they're more expensive than the other chatterbaits. Amen to that. I get tired of paying seventeen ninety nine for a piece for them bad boys. <laughs> Especially when you lose one, man. I cry. <laughs> I haven't lost one yet. I ain't been using them very long, but I haven't lost one yet. Knock on wood, wherever. <laughs> it ain't real wood, but I... <laughs> knock on. <laughs> Listen, I have lost. So uh, the first time I went to Michigan, I lost three in one day to Pike. I come back down to home to Tennessee. I think, man, listen, there ain't nothing I got to worry about here. 
51-inch musky rolls up behind my chatterbait <laughs> and just smokes it, and it's gone. I was like, son of a bitch. Like, oh, now. My buddy, he's a musky fisherman. I was like, dude, hey, if you see a musky with a jackhammer in his mouth, I said, you jump in after that thing. All right, I said, I want it back. <laughs> uh, so I, I, uh, I fished uh, jackhammer a lot, and um, I've had a little bit of success with it in the rivers. I have never caught a fish in my lake on them. Um, do you have any tips? Like, I, I feel like there's not a lot you can do wrong, but is it letting it sink down low enough or, you know, I know one of the nice things about jackhammer is you can fish it in different parts of the water column, depending on where you think the fish are. But, um, and I've seen, I just recently saw like a yo-yo retrieve more and, uh, you know, but I just, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in it. Uh, other than the rivers, because I, um, I, I've had some success there, but I just don't know what it is about the lake. I, I can throw it in the same place. I throw a chatterbait and, or a uh, crankbait. Um, I can pitch it up against the bank like I do with the Senko. I just ha- don't have a lot of confidence in it. I mean, it's such a hard question to answer for me because I'll tell you what I did with it. I had zero confidence in a bladed jig, and I told myself one day, I'm going to go figure this freaking thing out, right? And so I locked it in my hand for literally a good solid year. Like every time I went to the lake, I would force myself to throw that chatterbait at least half the day, right? Um, And what I really started to find is when the Thunder Cricket came out, it really opened my eyes to the differences in different bladed jigs. The Thunder Cricket is great around hard cover. Rocks, docks, anything that's solid. The jackhammer is the master of anything soft. Grass, mud bottom, sand bottom. Um, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the frequency at which that blade's knocking or what it is. But what I would do is if you live on a reservoir that has a ton of rocks in it, pick up the jet or the thunder cricket. Try it out. If you live in a reservoir that's got a ton of grass in it, pick up that jackhammer. Throw it. Now... I say that, and you'll go smash them on riprap with a jackhammer one day. I like, dude. Like, I've seen, I've seen either or. You know what I mean? Um, but, dude, I don't know, man, because I, I've got, I've locked it in my hand so long. It's like, it's almost one of those deals. It's like I just know where it's gonna work now. You know what I mean? And it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, water clarity. It has to do with how the fish are setting up you know, those kinds of things. Um, but dude, you'll get on it. I mean, there will be a time when that's all they want to eat and they'll be choking it. You know what I mean? It's fascinating. I so. keep throwing it. Uh, um, and it's definitely, I usually, I, I usually carry four rods with me. Um, and one of them usually has it on. So uh, it's definitely something I continue to throw. I just, uh, got to get the confidence built up in it. So yeah. Are you fishing a lot of grass lakes or like rock? What is it up there? My, my, my reservoir. Now we have both. Um, I have a place, a lake I can drive to that's half an hour away. That is grass lake. But the mm-hmm. one 15 minutes from me that I fish the most is a rock lake. There's not a lot of vegetation. Um, it's, uh, steep banks and then a lot of nothing. It's a, a man-made reservoir. So shad um, or bluegill or what's primary? That's a good question. I, I'm not 100% sure. I've seen both. Um, I've seen bait balls on my fish finder, so I'm thinking that's shad. But I've mm-hmm. also seen bluegill. I've caught bluegill um, just, you know, fishing a little worm on a bobber. So um, I think it has both, but I, I don't know what's more prevalent. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, try, try that Thunder Cricket. I think I think you may see a difference there. 
Um, cause that thunder cricket is different. I, I, I say the jackhammer is, is like a 50 cal. It's, it's kind of a little bit slower, but it's really, really loud. And then the thunder cricket is like a Gatling gun. It's a lot faster and a lot high pitch. It's like the difference between a two tap shad and a normal red eye shad, like essentially the same exact bait, but realistically two totally different things. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. I do have a thunder clip. I'll have to tie one on it, tie it on and try it. So yeah, Yeah, it's just been sitting in my tackle box forever. So yeah, give it a try and see how that does for you. Cool. I'm going to have to get some thunder crickets now because most places I fish pretty much have no vegetation. I wish they did because, you know, you look at Dustin Nichols this last weekend in our spring madness bracket, you know, he was either throwing a frog over top of this vegetation or, or yanking a chatterbait through it, and he was wearing them out. He was catching fish left and right. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to be able to fish grass like that, but unfortunately around here there's not a whole lot of options for that. Yeah. What's your so, home like? Uh, Percy Priest Lake for the most part, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a, a lot of rock, you know, some wood laydowns, not a lot of vegetation on it. There is a little bit, but not much. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never been to Percy Priest, but I've got some buddies that live out that way that they they throw a lot of big swim baits. They uh they figured out a big swim bait bite out there, and I heard they're just smashing that thing. So interesting. I need to get out that way and chuck a glide bait and see what happens. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting where I live, man. I, you know, I'm ten minutes from Norris, which is a ginormous man-made reservoir, deep, clear, zero grass, but then. I'm 30 minutes from Watts Bar where I can go get on a grass flat as big as a football field and, you know, fish grass. So I'm, I'm lucky. I get to play with a little bit of everything. It's kind of pick your poison. Well, see, I, I could I could drive two and a half hours and go up to Del Hollow and, you know, smash hit, hit it there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had yeah a buddy, grassy. Yeah, I had a buddy went out there uh, two weeks ago, caught 26 and a half pounds. Wow. All smallmouth. Yeah, dude. It was a bag, man. It was a bag. So, I'm uh, where I live is kind of the same way. I mean, I can I have like I said the man-made reservoir down the road, 15 minutes. That uh, it's all rock, no vegetation. But then just uh, 30 minutes away, I have a grass a lake with that's known for being a grass lake. And then I have the Susquehanna River, which is rock flats, but then also you can find grass and vegetation. So. Um, I, I really could fish both if I wanted to. So that's, that's kind of cool. I love it, man. I think that's what makes an angler. That's what makes good anglers. Great is the ability to, to move around and, and go to these different lakes. I mean, if you look at the best of the best in the game right now, they all live in Southeast Tennessee or North Alabama. And it's because they all live around some of the best bass fishing in the world, but it's all very, very diverse stuff. So you guys are lucky you live in the Mecca, I guess. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you say we're lucky, man, until everybody and their brother owns a bass boat. I showed up to the boat ramp the other day. They were having a freaking 150-boat tournament out of the boat ramp that I was trying to fish my kayak <laughs> tournament out of. So I'll tell you what, um, a boat ramp that I've been going to quite a bit here recently, you know, with everybody shut down, um, the this area, you know, there's a couple of factories that are shut down at the moment because of the uh, COVID-19 thing. It don't matter like what time of day you go there or what day you go there. There's not a parking spot in that, uh, at that boat ramp. 
Crazy. You know, they're all taken. There's people parked on the sides of the like driving path. There's people parked all up in the grass. Man, it, it it's insane. So, you know, pe- people sometimes talk, uh, that don't live in such great fishing areas, like, oh, y'all got it so good. Like, yeah, there's good fish here, but it's also they're also very heavily pressured. You Absolutely. Know, they're, they're getting th- something thrown at them all the time. Yeah, that that's why I'm going to Michigan in two weeks because I got to go up there and just like go fish where nobody bass fishes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'll go fishing with Ben, man, and like honest to God, the past this will be my fifth year going up there. I may have seen two under other bass anglers the entire time I was there, and Ben knew both of them. Like it is just insane how untouched it is up there man and like there's so much water and it's just you pull up to any lake and catch 25 pounds man i mean it's just insanity those fish probably never see lures you know so oh yeah i mean there's when we went to lake huron um there was one the first year i went there i literally once in a lifetime experience probably never happened to me again me and ben literally hit the the day that hundreds of smallmouth decided to move up and start making beds. We were actively watching smallmouth fan beds out. And like, we would look up and there would be 50 smallmouth. And then we'd look back up and there'd be 200 smallmouth. We'd look back up and there was 500 smallmouth. Dude, we've got drone footage where you can actually see the bass coming out of deep water and swimming up onto these flats. And man, like me and Ben were talking those bass had probably never seen human beings before because they had no fear of us. Like, you know, usually you roll up on a bed fish, they're clear the other direction. These fish were like swimming up to the bottom of the boat like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, what are you? Like, you want to fight? What's going on here? Like, just absolute insanity, man. Uh, that's awesome. I, I, I'd love to have a day like that. Oh, it was... Dude, I'm telling you, that's like one of those days that it's still like, I get like in my chest, like it makes you feel funny just thinking about it because it's like that'll never, is just absolute insanity, man. I got that drone footage stowed away, like I've got it saved in about five different places so that I never lose it. <laughs> <laughs> I The closest I experience I have to that is I, I do a week as a uh, camp counselor over the summer and um, the lake there is, it's on the camp property so not at everybody can fish it so it's definitely a lot lower pressure and yep. those fish there uh, that's where i do have success that's where i caught my first frog fish that's where i've caught my first uh i'm trying to think of the other things i've thrown and have been successful there but i attribute a little bit to that is that th- those fish don't know any better so you mm-hmm. could maybe not be working it perfect but they're still going to hit it because to them it's you know it's just something moving through you know it's brand so, new they've never seen it, it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that's why one of the things I love about going to camp is getting to fish there. And um, last year I took like 15 rods with me and had a bunch of kids fishing too. And they totally got into it. I think before um, the, the first couple of years I went up there, they had little Zebco rods and you know, they were throwing little, you know, trout hooks with worms on them basically and yeah. catching bluegill all day long but then when i brought out you know my bass rods and they started catching huge bass out of this lake they're like oh my gosh this is awesome that's so, amazing uh, yeah it was so fun my daughter caught her like huge bass i have pictures of her and you know it, it was just such a fun time and uh 
And but it was fun for me too because uh, it's nothing like the lake that I fish on now. There's times where it gets crowded. I heard the other day I saw on Facebook there was a 40 minute wait at the ramp to put your boat in and stuff. So it's crazy. It, it gets crazy. it gets busy, um, especially now with people not working as much. Uh, I noticed it. It definitely can can be busier than usual. But um, but yeah, that's that lake up there at camp is uh, my my you know perfect area where i can kind of go and have fun and know i'm gonna wreck them so well you know that's so good i i truly believe that sometimes as a bass angler you just gotta go swing on them like you gotta have those days where you wreck them because those are the days that makes you confidence in in stuff that you wouldn't normally throw you know what i mean like i gained a ton of confidence in the bladed jig to kind of go back to that question fishing in michigan like just going and being able to swing on 50 fish in a day really taught me like the little nuancey things like we were saying at the beginning of the the episode the little nuancey things that I never knew before about that that bladed jig and, and you know locking it in your hand and doing that or um the first time I really learned frog fishing was um Pickwick Lake you know in October freaking 100 fish in a day I mean just insanity but you learn those little nuancey things that, you know, where you go from catching three pounders to go and catching fives and sixes. And I, I think it's really good. Like you look, a lot of these pros, pros will do this. They go to these private lakes in the off season because all they're doing is they're just having that chance to fish these baits, figure out every little nuance thing, being able to swing on them all day long so that when they go to some highly pressured lake, they can take that bait with confidence and go, I know exactly where I can go get the five biggest bites I possibly can with this. So I, I think it's good. I think it's good to show up to those places every now and then and just, just swing the bat. That's what I call it. Just swing in the bat, knock their freaking heads in. Like that's, that's <laughs> the good stuff right there. Absolutely, man. I, yeah, you're right. It, it definitely, when you can forget about just trying to catch fish and then actually figure out what was different between this catch to this catch and, and really figure out that's, that's how you're going to learn those baits and get real good confidence in them. I agree totally. Absolutely. I need to find a private pond now. <laughs> Bro, I'm telling you, <laughs> telling you it's uh that, or just, just head down to Pickwick or, you know, one of them Alabama lakes, man, like right now, dude, it's crazy how many fish you can catch down there. I need to go down there and spend some time. Instead, I'm heading up north. I'm heading to old COVID town up there near Detroit. Ben lives about 45 <laughs> minutes north of Detroit. I said, dude, if I get the COVID-19 coming up there to fish with you, so I'm kicking your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Be uh, careful. With the- I tell you, I'll wash my hands. I'll be all right. I'll take my vitamin C. <laughs> there you go. I, I would say wear a mask, but you'd have to shave that beard. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. Uh, well, one of the thing, questions I like to ask, um, it's kind of like a two-parter. Um, if you uh, had to give one piece of advice to a new fisherman or new angler, what would it be? Just go fishing. Go fishing. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Don't worry about you know what the doc talk is just go out there put as much time on the water as you possibly can because that's what's going to make you good um the only reason i am at the point in my fishing career that i am is because i was fortunate enough to grow up around a lot of anglers um but i was also able to get a lot of time on the water 
Um, but once you have a lot of time on the water, then go find somebody that's willing to mentor you. Um, cause that's where you're going to get good. You know, join a little kayak club, join a bass fishing club where you can co-angle, get around guys that are better than you because that's, what's going to make you good time on the water and being around guys that know more than you do. And that kind of leads me into the second part of that question. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Would it be the same thing? It is. And my, my dad, I'll never forget him, forget him telling me, you know, I only know what I know because I fished around really good anglers you will learn more by fishing around really good anglers and spending a lot of time on the water um, than you ever will sitting inside watching a video, reading an article. I mean, YouTube's awesome, man. I, I make YouTube videos. I, I tell people, watch my YouTube videos. But the I, And this is exactly what I tell my fifth graders. I can teach you everything I know, but I cannot make you do the work. So I, I can get in the boat with somebody, learn everything they know, but then you have to go do the work and put the time in on the water to take what you've learned and turn it into skills that you can use to go catch fish. Right on. Yeah, that I think that's excellent advice. So, Ryan, do you have anything else you wanted to cover, man? No, man. I, I think we've uh, pretty much covered everything that I was wanting to talk about. Yeah. It's pretty good info here. Uh, you uh, want to... You got any sponsors you want to shout out and social media you want to throw out so people can go follow you? Yeah, man. So all my stuff is under Alex Red Fishing. Um, YouTube's Alex Red Fishing. Instagram's Alex Red Fishing. My podcast is the Alex Red Fishing Podcast. Um, we talk about literally everything. We got into Bigfoot and UFOs yesterday on yesterday's <laughs> podcast. It was amazing. Um, but everything that you're going to find me under is Alex Red Fishing. I'm on TikTok. I just started a TikTok account, which... Yeah, everybody says it's for kids, but I, I, I got buddies who have millions of followers, so I'm I'm got to get in on that game. You know what I mean? It's it's part of the whole social media thing. Um, but, you know, I got a lot of good support systems. Um, you know, the biggest support system being my wife, um, just, you know, helping to further my passion. I think that's my biggest support system. Um, but then Monster Bass, uh, I'd like everybody to go check them out. I actually own part of Monster Bass, so it's a company that I helped to found own part of that company. I'm super proud of everything we've got going on over there. Um, so people can go check that out. And then Luz is another one. Um, Luz keeps me taken care of with rods and reels and everything like that. And then AFCO, they, they keep me all clothed up and keep me looking halfway pretty some days. So. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks again so much for coming on and uh, shooting the crap with us for a while, talking some fishing. Appreciate it. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was just going to say, you know, if you want, you could always send me and Sean like some free uh, Monster Bass boxes if you want. Hey, bro, send me an address and I will have a Monster Bass box at your front door. I can promise you that. <laughs> just include a credit card number and all yeah. that. That's, yeah, yeah, something like that. That's funny. All, all right. right, man. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Um, um, thanks, Alex, for being on, man, and uh, tight lines in the future. Absolutely. And uh, we'll close this out with our normal tagline. Um, we've been the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment. Uh, we're bringing you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. <laughs> <Right>, everybody. <laughs> See ya. Go check out the website, guys. Paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Also, check out YouTube. 
youtube.com forward slash paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at paddle and fin. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Fin logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jigmasters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. It helps grow the audience, helps others find our podcast. So please drop a five-star rating in on the podcast platform you're listening on. Don't forget about the Recycled Plastics program, you guys. Take your used plastic baits, put them in an envelope, mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man Eric Richards at Hammered Lures melts those down, makes new baits, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water.